Welcome to the first episode of Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but he is strong. Hi, I'm Kevin Biltman. I'm your host and recovering burned out pastor who is here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine that I hope will be a blessing to you. One time there was this boy who was in a big store with his mom and he wasn't paying attention very well to where she was and he wandered away from her. Even before he realized that he was lost, his mom noticed and was frantically searching for him all over the store. She sees him at the end of a long aisle, and as she's making her way towards him, he starts to wonder where his mom is, and he turns around just as she's touching his shoulder and says, Mom, I found you. And of course, we can understand why he thinks that from his perspective, but we know that it is really his mom who found him. And wouldn't it be sad if his mom didn't even know he was lost? Wouldn't it be sad if she knew that he was lost but didn't even care enough to look for him? Well, we have a God who loves us so much that he doesn't just wait around until we find him. He's actively pursuing us. In fact, some might even say that Jesus dying on the cross was a reckless thing to do. And not reckless as an irresponsible, but the meaning of the word reckless that says, I don't care what it takes, I'm going to do it just like a mom looking all over the store for her son. She's gonna do whatever it takes. The words of the chorus of the song, Reckless Love says, oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. In our message today, John David Mull, preaching to us today from Iowa, explains to us about the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin found in Luke 15. And be sure to listen to the end of the podcast to a brand new song just written a few months ago and is the theme song for this podcast. One of the things you want to do when, when Jesus delivers a parable is really dig into who who. Who is he talking about in the parable? Who are these people that he is referring to? And then eventually you want to ask yourself, who, who am I in the parable? And who am I is a big question, right? Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot lately again because I've got a kid in college. Uh, because Angie took seven kids yesterday up to Concordia St. Paul to check that school out. Uh, because we need we need more church workers in our world, and they're just doing incredible things there. Uh, and it got me thinking more and more about that college life. And if you've been to college, you know what I'm talking about. College is a time in many ways where you're trying to figure out, who am I, right? Who am I? Now, many of us in the room are going, yeah, that was a long time ago, and I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> who am I who am I supposed to be? What's this all about? Last night, uh, Haley got home from visiting Concordia St. Paul. That's, that's our alma mater, Stephanie and I. And she was telling us about different places on campus. And it just memories flood back, right? She's talking about, oh, outside the chapel. And Stephanie says, did you see the naked people statue? And she said, yeah. And she goes, again, that's where your dad asked me to marry him. Because where else would you do that? 
But they, they just flood back. And you remember things. I remember starting college. I, I went to Texas Tech. And for my first couple of years there, I was just going, what am I supposed to be? I started out in physical therapy. A year in, I thought maybe that's not it. Restaurant hotel management. I found out the hours they work. No. Uh, I, I looked at parks and recreation. Really, the whole time, God is speaking to me saying, ministry, ministry. And you know, people, a lot of times, when they have their story about how they went into ministry, it's this beautiful beautiful story. I have the kicking and screaming story. Like I fought against it with everything I had. Even once I said okay and moved to Concordia, St. Paul, I still fought for another year against it. Uh, trying to, and that's the question though, who am I supposed to be? And uh, that's what this text today is dealing with. Who are we? Who are all these people? And who is this God who welcomes them to his table. And so when we dig into the text today, we see right here at the beginning, this is a really important part for us to understand. Uh, Jesus is together with, with some Pharisees and scribes, but he's also got these tax collectors and sinners coming toward him. When you say sinners, what do you mean? For the Pharisees, they meant pretty much anybody who's not us. Right? And they were looking at these people, and they, they were just so frustrated by everything. Now, I need you to understand, the Pharisees were not upset that tax collectors and sinners were coming near where they were eating with Jesus. That would be cool with them. That would be cool with them because they felt like these sinners should watch us. They should come and witness who we are because we are up here and they are down there. And they should look at their betters and want to be like that. And what the Pharisees wanted was a Messiah who would come and do that same thing. Dine with them. Welcome them in. And so all these lowly people could look and say, God, that's, that's what we should be like. We should stop being these awful people and be like them. But they were upset because that's not the Messiah they got. Matter of fact, here in our text, the verbs are really important. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That drawing near to him, that is a present verb tense. That is what they do. Once Jesus is here... The tax collectors and sinners just can't help themselves. They are drawn to him like a magnet, right? Now, they continue on. The Pharisees and the scribes, their verb is grumbled. This is an imperfect verb. Probably a better way to translate it would be, and they were grumbling. And the, the force of that imperfect verb is this. That was their state of being. That's what Pharisees did. They grumbled. They grumbled in the past, they grumble in the present, and what are they going to do in the future? Grumble, right? And Jesus was providing them with something to grumble about. Now, Jesus has his verbs in here too. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is where the Pharisees got upset. They don't mind the people coming around to look at how good they ought to be, but my goodness, don't receive them. Don't take them in. And the last thing you do with these people is eat with them. Because to eat with them says, you're part of my family. I welcome you the way you are. 
And the Pharisees did not like that. See, those are present verbs as well. Jesus receives and he eats with. It's a pretty amazing text when you think about it. And so the Pharisees are just distraught over this whole thing. They want a Messiah who will come and lift them up even higher than they already are. And so Jesus does what Jesus always does whenever he's struggling with these people and they don't understand. He gives them parables. And here we get two of the most famous parables that Jesus gives. Now, both of these parables are leading up to a third parable that we're not looking at today, but that you probably know pretty well, right? We call it often the prodigal, right? So you have the lost sheep, then the lost coin, then the lost son, But we're dealing with the first two today. And so Jesus pulls these people together. All of these Pharisees are here and they're grumbling. And Jesus sees that. And he's welcoming tax collectors and sinners. And now he wants to explain to the Pharisees and give them an opportunity to repent. And he gives them a couple of things. And first he says, you know what? I want to tell you about a shepherd. Suppose there's a shepherd, right? Suppose there is a shepherd. Now again, we want to ask, Who are the people in the story? The Pharisees immediately would think, okay, we're the shepherd. Although they wouldn't really like that very much because shepherd is is low end in society, right? They have these Old Testament texts like in Ezekiel and Psalm 23 where God is compared to a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd. But over the years, shepherd has gotten a bad rap. They don't like those guys. Why don't they like those guys? Because they're dirty and they stink right? Not just dirty and stink. They're oftentimes not as well educated, right? Because they're just out with sheep all the time. Not a lot of education happens with sheep. And since they're dirty all the time and they have to be with sheep, they don't obey the Sabbath laws the way you're supposed to. They're out taking care of sheep. And they're too dirty often to come to the temple. Those are low-end people. Matter of fact, those are people back at this time, there were two sets of people within Jewish society that weren't trusted when it came to witnessing at a trial. So if there was a trial and the two people that you had to witness to it, the worst was, well, the second worst was a shepherd. They didn't believe those guys at all. They were the people that you made fun of. Who do you make fun of here in Iowa? Like in Texas, we made fun of Aggies, right? Texas A&M, that's who we made fun of. How do you get a one-armed Aggie out of a tree? Wave, right? That's who we made fun of. Who do we make fun of here? Who is it? You make fun of Minnesota? Okay. People from Minnesota. Sorry, Stephanie. Uh, But But that's what they did. They made fun of shepherds. They would be the second worst you could have. The worst witness you could have would be a woman, right? That's the times. And so what does Jesus do? He tells them two parables. And he starts with suppose a shepherd. And then he says next, suppose a woman. And you start realizing pretty quickly these Pharisees do, wait a minute. He's not talking about us as the shepherd of the woman. He's talking us as the 99 who are left behind. They don't like that. And then they start paying attention to, I think maybe the shepherd he's talking about is God. A shepherd and then a woman. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus that he would do these kinds of things? And so Jesus says, suppose a shepherd has one of his sheep out of a hundred who gets lost, who takes off. What is he going to do? And he says, the good shepherd 
would leave the 99 behind. Now, in this time period, generally shepherds weren't lonely shepherds. Usually it was a group of shepherds. And so when you leave the 99 behind, very well could have been left them with some shepherds, right? And then the main shepherd goes off to find. Or oftentimes when Jesus gives parables, he uses a lot of hyperbole. He, he uses stories that are beyond the realm of common sense, but it's to make a point. And what he's saying in this story is that God would leave the 99 to go find the one who is lost. Why? Because Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for those who know they need a savior right? And what he was saying to the Pharisees is you are sitting here thinking that you are righteous and you don't need forgiveness. And that is a serious problem. It's such a problem that I'm going to walk away from you. And I'm going to welcome in sinners. And not just sinners. I mean, not just any sinner, but tax collectors, the worst of the sinners. And I'm going to welcome them to my table. Because I am here for lost people. And what he's trying to get the Pharisees to do is to see that they are sinful too. And as the religious leaders of God's church, what he desires them to be doing is not sitting and looking pretty and expecting people to just praise them. No, what they should be doing is going out and caring for those lost people. Going to them and loving them where they are and serving them where they are and then calling them to repentance. See, that's Jesus' way. Have you noticed that in the stories? When he is dealing with sinners who know they are sinners, the first thing he does is not come and say, repent. He says, come to the table. I welcome you here. I love you. And my father loves you so much so that I will go to the cross to die for your sin, to take it with me, to die for your pain, to take it with me, to die for your shame, to take it with me to that cross, and I will die there for it. And then the Pharisees, they just got to be reeling over this. So Jesus goes in and he doubles down and he goes, suppose a woman loses one of her 10 coins. Now, this would, be, this would be a salary. This would be a decent amount of money for this woman, right? It might even be her dowry. Suppose she loses one of the 10. What's she going to do? She's going to put everything aside. She's going to sweep the whole house. She's going to do everything to find that one coin because it is special to her. This is who our God is. He seeks out the lost. He goes to find them. He went and found you, and he went and found me, and he didn't look and say, I'm going to come to find you because you're so pretty. He didn't say, I'm going to come and find you because you're so great. He didn't say, I'm going to come and find you because you cheer for the right team. He didn't say, I'm going to come and find you because you make the most money. He didn't say any of those things. I'm going to come and find you because you are mine, and I love you. And I would do anything to take you back into my family. And he did. And you have been baptized into that family. And he says, you are mine and I will not let you go. You are mine. So who are we in the story? Well, we've been the lost ones who are found. But now who are we in the story? All too often... 
we're the 99. All too often, we are the ones grumbling, aren't we? Have you grumbled lately? Is it your way of being when you look at the world around you? Have you said it's not as good as it used to be? Have you grumbled? Be honest with yourself. When Stephanie and I took Caleb to visit college campuses, uh, I was really excited for him, but I saw the one thing that made me sad, right, as the college campuses have changed. It's not as good as it used to be, right? And I think the culprit is the phone. You know what I'm talking about? Because when I was in college at Texas Tech and then at Concordia St. Paul, we were together all the time. I was with people. You met people all the time. You did life together all the time. You, you played games. You had fun. And then when we were walking around that campus, we saw that between classes when people were sitting in halls and things like that, instead of talking to you, getting to know each other, they were doing this. Right? And you know what I did about that? Grumbled. I grumbled about it. And you know what? All my grumbling has changed what? Nothing. All the Pharisees grumbling changed nothing. I think there's a call to the grumble. I think whenever we have that thing hit us where we want to complain and grumble about what's going on out there, we have a call from God. Matter of fact, I think these two parables help us with this. I was reading a commentary from the Concordia Seminary series on Luke, and that, uh, that, that pastor who wrote this commentary, he was talking about these two parables together, and he said one way to read them, and I think it's a correct way, there's... Here's the thing with God's word. Oftentimes you can read it one way and another way and both of those are correct when they both line up with scripture outside of that, right? Uh, and so one way to read it is that when you talk about the sheep and the shepherd, that would be God and God goes and finds his lost sheep where they are and loves them where they are. And then he talks about the woman and a way to look at that would be the church, those who are saved by God's grace, those that God has gone out and found and said, you are mine, and now what do we do as the church with the lost ones? We are the ones sent by him to go and make a difference. Here's the thing I think I've come to. When you feel that need to grumble and complain, I think God is speaking to you. Because one of the things we often say when we grumble and complain is this, God, when are you going to do something about that? Have you ever said that? Have you? Have you looked at this very broken world and said, God, when are you going to do something about that? Here's what I think God's saying. I'm doing something about that. I put you there. You're what I'm doing about it. I'm sending you. That feels really scary, doesn't it? Let me fix it for you a little. Tell me if this makes it feel better because this is the way he would really say it. He wouldn't say, I'm sending you. He says, I'm sending y'all. You're not meant to go do this stuff alone. God's word is filled with y'all. Y'all is all over it. There's very few use. A lot of times you is repent. You 
Get on your knees. You receive the grace I have for you. Y'all live together, do life together, care for each other, love each other, and go out in this world and make a difference. Stop grumbling. Recognize I've been saved by God's grace and I didn't deserve it. Go out and love people who don't deserve it. So what do I do? What do I do about the neighbor who doesn't take care of his lawn? What do I do about that mess that's across the street that makes the whole neighborhood look awful? Some of you are going, ooh, that's me. I stop grumbling and complaining, and I go, and I love them where they are, and I find out what's going on in their life. There may be things that they need help with. Maybe their life is so busy, they can't imagine going to do that. Maybe they are in such deep depression to even walk outside the door is overwhelming. Maybe it's just too much for them. Maybe they're physically unable. And what's the answer? Yo, me, us, God's saved people. That is who you are. It's incredible. Saved by God's grace. What do we do about this next generation? Ugh. We grumble. No. We care. We love. We welcome. We welcome them into our homes. What do we do about our neighbor that's flying a pride flag out front? We love them where they are. We welcome them to our neighborhood party. We take care of their pets when they're out of town. We love them and we welcome them to the table of God and we watch God change their life. That's his job. We welcome them the way Jesus does. We go find them where they are and we see God change their life. Do we lie to them? No. God hasn't called us to go and be liars. God has called us to go and be lovers, to go and love them where they are, serve them where they are, and speak truth into their lives and watch God change them. Y'all, we have got work to do. How do I know? Because we've been grumbling. If we are grumbling, that's God's call for us to get to work. I don't want to be in the 99. I want to be part of God's church on fire. God's church out in the world. God's church gathered together to receive his grace again. God's church then to go together out into this world and love people out there to welcome them into our lives, into our homes, and into God's love. To see them receive that love and change. To see them baptized into Christ. To see them repent. And to celebrate with all of heaven as they are received into his love. Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine and theirs. And he is calling us to care. And he is calling us to love. He is calling us to serve. He is calling us to welcome in. And he is calling us to watch him change lives for eternity. This is a great time to be a Christian. It is a great time to be a Christian. You know why it's a great time to be a Christian? Because the world's starting to attack us. There is no better time to be a Christian when the world starts to attack us. You know why? Because nominal Christianity goes away. We are entering into a time where you're not going to be able to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really into it. 
Because if the world is going to call you names for being a Christian, if the world's going to put you down for having a faith in a God who loves you and would save you, then you're either going to have to choose to get in the game or get out. You are saved by God's grace. And now he's calling you into the game. He's calling you to make a difference. Wait a minute. He's calling y'all to make a difference. It's time for us to get to work, isn't it? And you know where that starts? It starts with recognizing once again that in the story, we're the lost ones. But we're not in a constant state of loss because Christ has found us and Christ has claimed us as his. And we aren't the lost anymore. We are the found who go with him into this world to make a difference. And it starts with repentance again. Now, I don't know about you, but I've grumbled lately. And I need to bring that to the cross. You too? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we often look like the Pharisees we see in your word, Lord. We often sit still and say the world should come to us. They should look at us to see what life is in being great because we are God's saved people. So they should just come to us. And Lord, when they're not coming, we spend a lot of time grumbling about it. We spend a lot of time complaining about the world around us and the things that they've fallen into and the lies that they have believed. Well, we have to admit, Lord, at the same time, we have believed lies. We have believed, Lord, that we've got nothing to do in this world and that our job is to hide from it. But your son has come and he has overcome for us. Your son has come and he has found us in our sin, sickness, shame, and grief. And he has shown us scars and hands and feet. And he has pointed us to his cross. And he has said, I love you and I forgive you. And for his sake and his sake alone, Lord, we ask for forgiveness because we have fallen short of who you are calling us to be. Lord, we have not been the people you've called us to be. Instead, we have been grumbling about the world. Lord, instead of being out there living and sharing and loving and serving and welcoming into our hearts and lives, we have complained about the world. Lord, there are so many times when we are so caught up in ourselves that we haven't even noticed the world around us because we're chasing after our stuff and our comforts. And we need your forgiveness. So for Jesus' sake, would you forgive us? If this is your confession, say, please forgive me, Lord. Lord, let your spirit be at work in this family of faith that we wouldn't be Pharisees sitting and grumbling about the world, but instead would be your forgiven people sent into this world together to care for it, to love people who don't deserve to be loved, to call them out of their sin 
and welcome them into our lives. Welcome them into your life, which is eternal. Lord, be at work through your family, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close today with this song called More Than Anything. I was blessed to be in the room with Benji, Nikki, and Chase as we wrote this song based on quite a bit of the changes that I had been making in my life shortly before we wrote this song in May. You can read more about my story at weekdayswithjesus.org story. And the link, along with other details about today's song and sermon, are found in today's show notes. Anyway, I pray that this song can be an encouragement to you. And God bless you as you spend each one of your weekdays with Jesus. Be my first conversation. Be the first name that I speak. Before my feet can hit the floor, let us be talking. Let it be, dear Lord, oh, let it be. Let your mercy and your kindness be the first thing on my Keep me from